Hi, I'm Sass. I'm Alex. And you're listening to The Last Stretch, a sports podcast. everyone we're back with a brand new episode of the last stretch podcast i hope you're excited because i am today uh i was joined by alex perez what's up this is like a weird feeling for me we haven't I been know. on a podcast in like a while i was this close to calling you mel so many times <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately mel couldn't make it in studio but i figured why not bring a good friend of mine and we used to co-host a podcast the press box hat trick pod yes yeah at, right at the link newspaper actually where right we both started off with our i guess journalistic <laughs> reporting careers ambitions if we want to title them that dreams yeah they're dreams <laughs> you know remember when we used to have <laughs> dreams <laughs> and uh you know actually tristan Damore and uh and, and julian mckenzie were also on that podcast who and they both now uh, host the scrum the very very good yes. podcast on this network so shout out to them but i'm really excited to be with you alex because it's been a long time since we've done a podcast together yeah, and it was great yeah, I think it was, it was really pretty good. great. We uh, had Andrian Dupont and Sadia Ashraf of the Montreal Blitz in studio to talk women's tackle football. And we learned so, so much. Yeah, from like right at the beginning too. I was really surprised actually. Like I was like super pumped for this interview when right. you told me to hop on. I was like really excited. But like my first thought was just like the the Montreal Blitz like <laughs> yeah. I did not know that Montreal had a tackle a women's tackle football team um so all of it was really interesting and like they just seemed like they really wanted to kind of like delve into that information a lot but yeah no it was the the info they gave us was great and and you know they're going through their own difficulties but the fact that they still managed to to keep on playing and to keep on going keep on recruiting and like they said it's the way they do it it's all by word of mouth is really impressive and since 2001 it's like almost 20 years now and like they're still progressing or they're still going and trying to progress as much as they can yeah and you know four championships later you know this is a successful women's sports team in montreal and quebec and and it's just you know i didn't hear about the blitz until maybe about a year or two ago and you know most of the time when i bring up oh yeah the montreal blitz the women's football team everyone looks at me like wait we have a football team so that's when I was like you know what it's time to have representatives from that team come and talk and share you know everything that there is to know about them because I think it's a great great thing that we have women's football in the city and uh, it was a great conversation you could tell you know both are so so passionate about what they do and you know one can only hope that one day when when you say hey I'm gonna go watch the Montreal Blitz the answer from the other person is going to be like, hey, yeah, I'll come too. Yeah. They'll know who it is. They'll know what's going on. So I think that's the goal, especially with a lot of, uh, you know, women in sports and different sports. And that's that's what, you know, what they want. That's what we want. So, yeah, I was really pumped, Alex. Yeah. And like, yeah, like I said, the fact that they've been going on for as long as they have is really impressive. And the fact that women's Montreal sports and uh, well, women's sports in Montreal has been a bit difficult this past year, especially with the CWHL. What are and, you like, talking about? The Canadiens, you know, and the fact that this team... What's that? <laughs> I'm sorry to bring it up. I apologize. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> but like the fact that 
they're still around yeah. you know i think that's a big statement not only in just women's football but in women's sports mm-hmm. within the city and to my knowledge i think maybe the only professional team left i don't want to really I, I don't know if that's true or not but like yeah to my knowledge to our knowledge that's what it know. seems like and i think that's a big statement the fact that like i said before it's almost been two decades that they're that they're going on and mm-hmm. you know i think i think they could be a major influence on women's sport in montreal so without further ado this is our episode with andrian and sadia of the montreal blitz Hi, my name is Andréanne Dupont-Parent, and I've been involved with the Blitz since uh, 2009 as a player, uh, on and off. And this year, I decided to help uh, with a little bit of everything, um, uh, ranging from uh, website management and to social media and uh, a little bit of logistics also, because, uh, yeah, uh, we have a lot to do with the team and um, we had a lot of players this year. So uh, that, that, was my, that is my role this year. Well, Andréanne, thank you so much for joining uh, myself and Alex in studio today. We're really excited to talk football with you and the Montreal Blitz. Uh, I understand correctly, the season has started. Uh, you played your home opener uh, not too long ago, and you completely obliterated the opposition, 42 to nothing. Uh, can you tell us about how that's, how your season's going so far? Well, actually, that was our, our the score for our OA game. Um, our home opener, uh, the score, final score was uh, 58-20. So um, they actually had a good offense. Um, it uh, it went super well. I mean, they have a young team there. It's uh, MIFA All-Stars Ontario. It's, uh, their program has been running for three years now. So they're still developing the sport and trying to recruit players. Um, this is our second year in a no-league situation. Uh, we used to play um, in the WFA and previous to that, the IWFL. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> we had to make the decision to, to quit that league uh, because we couldn't play the games uh, in, uh, in Canada anymore. So that had a big impact. Yeah, uh, so that's where we're at now. And so we're playing uh, against a team that uh, has a young program and we have a big roster this year so and a lot of uh, veterans. So uh, that's why the score uh, is, is, is as it is. Well, so you mentioned this is a no-league situation. So this yeah. is almost uncharted territory because uh, we're going to get to this later once uh, Sadia joins us. But, uh, you know, you were in a league for a long time. Uh, it was an American league. Uh, and then you guys left it in 2015. And then you just said now you're in a no league situation. You were in a league before that. And now they're not playing games in Canada anymore. How has that adjustment been? Uh, it's been hard. Obviously, the first year of a no league situation, we were just uh, trying to find somebody to play against. Um Uh, And so we were lucky to find MIFA in Toronto. uh, And so they accepted to play uh, actually five games against us so that we could just keep the program alive. But because we've seen it with other teams, when when a team uh, shuts down, uh, it's really hard to get it going again and get players and uh, to get uh, exposure and all that. And so we really wanted to keep the core athletes active and have just something to keep it going. So it's been challenging, I mean, uh, the, to also motivate uh, the coaches and the players uh, because of the instability of uh, the situation. There's also a league in the Maritimes, the MWFL, and, uh, but it's, it's super far to travel to and obviously costs is a big uh, issue for, for, for the team. How many teams are in this, I guess, no league situation? Um, well, there's the Montreal Blitz and um, MIFA plays 
in a kind of a no league situation, they play international games against uh, Mexico and uh, probably uh, yeah, a team from uh, Italy uh, oh, wow. uh, next okay. year. So, so, but they decided to go that direction, right? Um, so basically, we're <laughs> we're alone. Okay, wow, that must be a real challenge and I remember I was on your website I was trying to look at the schedule as well and yep. I only saw games I think for the month of June yeah what does that mean does that mean that there are games scheduled coming up or is it you know you kind of take it month by month try to find a team to play against and then you know how do you keep again the players and the coaching staff motivated because it seems a bit unpredictable in that sense yeah well we had uh, two games uh, scheduled for sure against MIFA so one away one home and um, the Saskatoon Valkyries were uh, nice enough to accept our our offer to come to their uh, field and play them. So um, so we beginning of the season we had three games scheduled for sure. So that's okay. how we uh, we kept everyone in the program and be like, yeah, this is going to be an interesting season because the Valkyries is a and the teams out west have a, have strong programs. So it's it's super uh, challenging for the girls and also knowing that uh, the national championship is coming up. Uh, next year and the world championship uh, the year after so if you want to be ready for a selection for your provincial team and national team then you need to uh, keep playing football so so if you're in the Montreal area that's pretty much the only option uh, you have right Right, and right the Blitz now. have been the only elite female football team since since uh, it's been founded uh, in 2001. Okay. So, uh, and uh, Sadia took over in 2004. But uh, so it's been like a couple of years, yeah. So yeah, you mentioned that it was around since 2001, and I I know off air we were kind of talking about uh, the Montreal Bullets and whatnot, and I kind of had the same reaction that Safia did when she you know first discovered this team was. You know, I I didn't know we had a women's football team or, or contact football team, let alone what what is the women's like Montreal football culture like in Montreal? Being that like you've been around for almost twenty years now, what is the culture within the players? Or I guess like, like what's the culture like within the city uh, of like women's football? It's interesting. I think we're building the culture in, in a sense. Uh, a lot of girls, you know, play uh, and women play flag football. So you know, there's a knowledge there. There's uh, there's players. Um, but uh, coming to tackle football is definitely a challenge and there's myths there and uh, uh, that, uh, you know, football is not necessarily accessible for women and girls and uh, that's that's not true at all. And uh, so we're, we're trying to break that barrier to, to get more people interested, uh, maybe players, coaches, fans. And so, um, but uh, we've seen uh, an increase in the support and an appreciation for the game in the last couple of years, uh, uh, just by people being interested and coming to the games and be like, wow, uh, you play uh, good football. It's interesting to watch. I mean, technically, you're, it's very, it's, it's nice to see, you know. And so um, it's, it's growing, I, I would say, but uh, there's still so much to do. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned comparisons between the men's game. Uh, are there any differences, uh, I guess, in rules between the men's football and women's football? Um, uh, depending on in which league you play, mm-hmm. um, you you adapt the rules. But uh, technically, no, there's there's no difference. If uh, when we played in the WFA or the IWFL, it was uh, standard rules. Uh, I'd have to ask Sad to make sure which <laughs> ones uh, they were. But American uh, tackle football rules, I think okay. it was college college rules. Uh, but uh, for uh, four downs, uh, I mean, uh, 10 yards to do, full field. Uh, 
So exactly the same, really. And you're talking about, you know, how it's growing. And I know you guys uh, were at the Alouettes. I believe it was a preseason game. Yeah. Uh, you did a showcase at halftime. Uh, was that a first? What was that experience like? Uh, it was the second time around, actually. And uh, but uh, it was it was awesome. I mean, uh, we had the chance to have uh, Alexia Miette do a little uh, uh, like a montage about this event mm. but the girls were so excited uh, to play uh, just in this big stadium just the energy and like they played so well uh, just just because of that 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 setting and it was great to see that people were were really uh, into it and they were like oh the blitz we didn't know it existed so you see it's all about exposure also mm-hmm. it's not so much like the people believe that women can't play that's the the le discours a changé a little bit the, the yeah the the conversation is yeah it's slowly it. shifting yeah. right but uh it's just uh it was it was an amazing experience even if it was uh, like 12 minutes of a scrimmage uh oh, oh offense versus defense uh like the girls were super pumped and excited about that yeah especially on the alice's field like yeah. they have a quite a nice stadium too, exactly so that must have been unreal for a lot of the players it, it was it was unreal and it gave us you know an idea of what it would be to play at such a stage mm-hmm. you know sometimes uh you you forget how uh, lucky you can be to to be in that position Definitely. but uh, for us it, it means it means a lot, and we were very thankful for the the opportunity they gave us uh, to showcase women's football, for sure. So, you know, at, at this point, I know when you introduce yourself, you kind of pause right before, and you're like, okay, wait, I need to think about this. And I know we've spoken before, and I know you wear many hats. Having worked with Lee Canazan, we all wore many hats. So I, I know it's a bit of a similar situation that we were in. Could you uh, describe to us what it is exactly that you do? You did you did mention social media, webmaster, you know, take us through your day-to-day a bit, especially during a season. Uh, well, yeah, especially uh, the, uh, this season. Uh, obviously, it was uh, to figure out a place, uh, a home for the Blitz, um, uh, find places uh, that uh, the team could practice where the team could practice, especially since we start practices in uh, uh, in the winter, so we don't have necessarily access to a field. So we're looking at gymnasium that are accessible for girls that come from, yes, the island of Montreal, but sometimes uh, like the North Shore or the South Shore and from far away, you know, they drive an hour and a half. And so we try to find something that's convenient for everybody. And um, so that's, that's a big logistic aspect of it. Yeah. Um, also, uh, well, um, make sure that uh, we publicize every events, uh, the tryouts and everything, try to get the word out. Uh, so I try to do that. And, you know, a little bit of uh, the, the graphics that you, you see on right. the on the website or social medias, the pictures, uh, little uh, clips, uh, anything to just get, you know, get um, people engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, a big part of it, too. And um uh, working on partnership with uh, the we since last year we've partnered with SIM which is Excellence Sportive Ile de Montréal and so uh, because we're recognized as an elite team so we have access to their amazing facilities uh, at uh, Saint-Claude Robillard and uh, District Elite which are gyms where uh, our players can train at and so just maintaining that and growing it so that we have really the structure to uh, make sure that players can perform at the highest level level possible, given their situation that they are full time students or full time workers, mm-hmm. and they have very limited time to 
to do other stuff and so they but they need to to be prepared to go on the field and right. not uh, injure themselves and uh, all of that so i'm actually a little curious about the recruitment process for the team uh is that something that you can maybe delve into a little bit uh yeah well uh it's been mostly a word of a mouth uh, uh other players trying to recruit athletes from other sports um uh we try to publicize on our social media but we can only reach so many people uh so uh ideally we would uh, have a program where uh, some of our players can go into schools and talk about um, the option of playing women's tackle football. And um, that is in the works for next year. Uh, so uh, that's that's pretty much it. Um, it the, the way it works the best so far is uh, when the player actually tries to recruit a, a friend or an athlete from another sport because uh, they really can ask all of their questions and all that. And we try to... Uh, welcome everyone and take them from the base up uh, to level of uh, of play that we need to. And you mentioned recruiting from other sports, and I mean the sport that I think of that's most similar to football is rugby. Yeah, I guess is that a source of recruitment for you? Is maybe going to rugby practices or knowing rugby players and trying to convince them to make the jump to football? Well, some some players actually do both uh, right now on our team. Some players are, they play in their rugby team, either uh, at the university level or uh, in their clubs. So yes, it is. But uh, like in any sport, I mean, if you commit to one, um, then for sure practices are going to be uh, sometimes at the same time and all that. So um it's hard to have practices if the players can't be there so sometimes they have to choose but yes um definitely uh, rugby is a big uh, ba- uh like pool of uh, athletes that we could uh, you know maybe uh, try to convince to come play football but uh, flag football is the same uh we try to reach out but we have a lot of basketball players also okay. uh, soccer players uh so team sports, yeah. Oh, it's a really great diversity yeah. that you have there. Um, Alex and I remember we were talking about this, you know, rugby, it seems to be a sport that's growing amongst youth as the gra- at the grassroots level. Um, you know, when there was a Women's Rugby World Cup, like it was starting to get a lot of traction, which is really cool. Um, and we were wondering, you know, obviously there's, I feel like there's more support for, you know, to play rugby at a younger age than there is to play football. Like. You know, is that, you know, something that you're aware of? Is that, you know, could that be a source of not conflict, but like a challenge to overcome? Because that's, I would say, the main physical, you know, like tackle sport that (laughs) I think parents will will maybe let their children play. (laughs) And it's not tackle when they're kids, obviously. But, you know, I I feel like there's probably a source of anxiety there, too, for families, you know, knowing that your kid's going to eventually, you know, growing up, maybe get tossed around a bit. So. Uh, obviously, yes. Um, I mean, we we are seeing uh, girls programs in their maritimes that have been around for a while now, and they they are starting programs out west too. And so we we are very aware that this is the like the base basic steps to grow the sport is to have like uh, younger players be able to um, to practice on uh, all girls team if if possible. And so. Um, we are uh, in discussion with our federation and, and we hope to see more uh, initiatives uh, to promote um, 
girls clubs. Uh, some actually play with in boys team and we've we've been uh, contacted by a lot of parents and be like, uh, thank you for existing. We didn't know. And uh, my girl is 11 years old and uh, she wants to go to play football. And she actually does now. And um, so because of you, she has hope, you know, so. Uh, we, we are seeing a growing numbers of younger players uh, being interested and that's very motivating, but we, we need to build a solid program in order to have uh, players that come into the Blitz and then have played football before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sadia, thank you so much for joining us in studio alongside Andrean, myself and Alex. We're really excited to have you here as well. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, something that we were both wondering, Alex and I, was a little bit how you both got into football. You know, what what attracted you to this sport, especially I'm assuming you guys grew up in Quebec or in Montreal. And let's be real, Montreal, Quebec, is a, it's not a sports town, it's a hockey town, you know. <laughs> so what got you into football? You go first. <laughs> um, well, um, I first started uh, playing flat football in CGEP. Um I was looking for another competitive sport after uh, I ended uh, ski racing. And so uh, I figured, oh, why not go to the tryouts? I, I really, you know, sports was, was really important for me uh, all my life and it still is. So I'm like, okay, I need to find something else. And so I started playing flag football and eventually I played semi-contact, um, which is like a half and a half like an eight on eight uh, with blocking but no tackling okay flag yeah and uh, we had a tournament in uh, Key West um, and I had the, the chance to see we had two teams from Montreal the Rebel which uh, in, in which I played and then the Warriors uh, which was a Saad's team yeah and uh, we were so impressed by how good they were and everything. And we're like, wow, they're so good. They're yeah, beating the, all the Americans. Then teams. they beat us, though, I think. That was a term. Did you beat <laughs> us that term? Or was it the year uh, after? Uh, maybe the year <laughs> after. And so I'm like, wow, we were all impressed. And that's when I learned that uh, most of them were blitz players, uh, so tackle players. And we're like, wow, it exists. And so uh, a couple of girls from the Les Rebelles ended up uh, playing um, for the Blitz eventually. And that's how I, I got into uh, women's tackle football. Also looking for a competitive uh, like sport to, to pursue my, my sports career. career. Athletic yeah. career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you can put it that way. Yeah. Right. Mine, uh, I, I played a lot of non-contact football. Like in high school, uh, in Sec 5, I started playing touch football. And then I, in CJEP, I was in CJEP, I was in a three-year program and and, you know, called the extended CJEP program. I was there for four years. And someone, after two years, someone had started a touch football team at John Abbott. The league was pretty small. The CJEP league was small. Now there's four divisions and it's it's booming now, uh, uh, women's flag football at that level and also even at the high school level. Okay, so wow. um, back then it wasn't as big. So uh, in my third and fourth years at John Abbott, I played for the touch football team there. And then there was... Um, one of the girls we played against from like Rosemont, she started uh, this league. Uh, it's Flagmont, right? The league. Uh, she started a, like a city league, and f- so I made a team, and we continued that, and then uh, played some semi-contact as well. And then someone um, from here suggested that we go down to Rochester to play for the women's tackle football team there, the Rochester Galaxy, and that was in I think 2000, year okay. 2000. And about eight of us from Montreal would drive down every weekend, like, or we'd drive down maybe on the Friday, practice Friday, Saturday. And then in the fall, they had a, a season that didn't really get off the ground. It was for the, uh, back then it was a WPFL. And um, 
our team didn't really I think we played a couple of games and we had to I think the season kind of folded and uh, but one of the women on that team uh, Maggie Mayo decided the year after to f- she founded the Montreal Blitz and she said I'm making it I'm creating a team here and you know we should get your friends and we should create our own tackle football team here and she provided that opportunity which was amazing and we played in the IWFL uh, the independent women's football league that's based in Texas um and uh we just been playing since and then you know then you retire and then you coach <laughs> and you take up other roles on the team and and yeah having those having those uh, players from the rebel actually really provided a new kind of young talent for us on the blitz so it was really it was really nice to to have uh, have them as well That's a pretty unique time in your history. And then obviously you became owner of the Montreal Blitz, right? From 2004 yep. to 2015. Yep. What prompted you to take on more <laughs> like an ownership uh, role? Well, I know, I mean, it's, it's not easy to have that role, right? So I guess the, uh, I guess Maggie was looking to, you know, maybe sell the team or sell the name or whatever you want to want to call it. And I didn't really have the, the financial means, but uh, my father was My parents both are very supportive of, of uh, of the tackle football route my athletic career took, and uh, I said, "Look, this is what's happening, and I think I think I want I want to keep providing this opportunity for women to keep playing tackle football." And uh, he he said, "Okay, I'll help you," and he helped out financially, and he still helps out to this day. Um, you know, he just gave some money so we can get some t-shirts to go to the game uh, to go to our game in Saskatoon so he's uh, they've been very always been very supportive so um that I just wanted to keep that going I didn't want it to end and yeah. I, I, I am I am I must sound like a broken record anyone that's ever heard me talk but <laughs> I think uh it's the ultimate team sport and I really think women should I think it's a great sport to play and I love the fact that women are, are playing that so I mean obviously you took on the ownership and then now you're a coach uh and I know football there are a lot of different kinds mm-hmm. of coaches so what I guess what do you take care of well I've gone through a, a bit of a like I guess like a roller coaster in terms of coaching as well I, I retired in 2014 and 2015 just because of circumstances I ended up being the offensive coordinator which isn't really a natural progression after you play just to kind of jump to that role but right. it's just it was out of necessity and uh, then the year after I was the quarterback coach For a couple of years and this year I'm the wide receiver coach okay what was that transition like because I think going from player to that role for any sport I right. think is always yeah like right a away of adjustment is, it's it's intense yeah right away going from player to coach is always uh, difficult because you play with all those right. people that you now coach but I think being one of the older people on the team had been you know a seasoned vet I guess <laughs> and uh uh seeing the team through its since its inception I guess kind of being there I think maybe that gave me a bit of a a leg up in terms of that transition because I think I I was able to I don't want to assume I had the respect of the players but I I felt like I did and they were they were okay with that transition since I was already a quarterback and a captain they kind of you know it was it was good it, it right. went well you know right. yeah I know you guys mentioned uh, that you're a part of the Independent Women's Football League for a long time. Uh, and earlier on in this interview, just speaking to Andrian, uh, there you know mentioned that there's about 30 teams. Was the Blitz the only Canadian team or were there other Canadian teams as part of that league? Uh, the Blitz was, if I'm not mistaken, always the only Canadian team to play in uh, US-based leagues. Okay. And you guys were there for a while. And if I'm not mistaken, you won four championships uh, during that time, which is... Let's be real. That's a huge accomplishment. So congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> um, what, uh, you know, what, how come you guys decided, you know, did you decide to leave the league? What exactly happened 
2015. So uh, basically what happened, I mean, there's there were two uh, major leagues in the United States. There was the IWFL and then the younger WFA, Women's Football Alliance. And um, what was happening, it's unfortunate because it would it would have been nice to to merge the leagues, but I guess, you know, politics and, you know, let's be real, it just sometimes just doesn't happen. And also you don't want to have a league with 60 teams because then you just completely dilute the pool. But because of money and travel expenses, it's hard. We don't have that, that funding that the, that the men's side has. So the IWFL was losing teams in the upper East coast, Northern East coast. And those were the teams that we played against. So those teams were deciding to move, to change leagues. Uh, They were unhappy for whatever reason. And, uh, and they thought the WFA was a better place. So once two or three of those teams decided to change, we didn't really have a choice. Our hands were tied because otherwise we'd have to travel too far. We wouldn't be able to right. uh, field a season mm-hmm. uh, because of the travel expenses. So we decided to also switch leagues and um, we played a lot of the same teams, some new ones. Uh, we did uh, we did we did very well that season. I think we had one of the top offenses uh, that year, along with a fantastic defense. And we were successful. I think we surprised a lot of. I think we surprised a lot of teams. And um, sadly, all it takes is one team to complain about crossing the border. And then um, the year after, the at the next owners meeting, they decided uh, they voted, and it was decided that teams were not required to cross the border anymore to play. So it was it was a kind of a punch in the stomach, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was you know okay what do we do now like now we're like scattered what do we do now and and uh, it was too bad because I felt um it was one year a very successful league we were only making the league better by being in the league and it just seemed didn't seem to be a a priority yeah that must have been a really tough situation and again earlier on we were talking about the no league situation and trying to find teams to play against and the challenge that is not only for you guys just trying to organize the Mm -hmm. logistics but also to keep everyone motivated um i know uh you're also a coach with team canada if i'm not mistaken and uh is there a championship coming up pretty soon in the next year or two yeah in the next year next year 2020 will be the canadian national championship okay and that'll be a good place for the teams from the provinces to showcase their players and for the head coach of Team Canada to to see uh, what's out there. So uh, they can, the, him and I guess the coordinators will make their selection. And I'm guessing there are a lot of players who, who want to make that team, yes, obviously. Absolutely. And, um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, keeping them motivated and how do you, in this new context of this no league, like how do you, you know, how do you get them to be as ready as they can be for that moment? You want, you want to take this one? or uh, <laughs> I kind of talked about it. Yeah, okay. So I think, yeah. well, I think it, I think it's in, in that uh, because it's a special case, it's up to the coaches to provide um, up-tempo, intense practices. And realizing that also as coaches, it's difficult sometimes for us to, you know, get motivated for that because even though we're not playing, we st- we still want a, a playoff and a championship, something like a goal at the end, right? So sometimes we get caught up in we're only human, right? We'll get caught up a, a little bit of a, um, a lull, or we'll we 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 can't show our maybe our our dissatisfaction with the situation. We have to kind of always be motivated and be there, be mm-hmm. present at the practices to set a good example for the girls to be there as well and and provide the a place for the athletes to perform and to showcase what they can do and uh, just uh, push the team forward together. So earlier in the in the interview, I guess we were talking about recruitment and I'm going to put you on the spot again, Sadia. Sorry, yeah. I know we're throwing a lot of questions your way. <laughs> That's all right. But um, uh, I guess I did want to know from a coach's perspective um, about the recruitment process, um, you know, before we were talking how 
Um, there's a lot of multi-sport athletes on the team, but I guess as a coach, um, where is it that you go to or... Yeah, I guess, like, where is it that you go to to, to find uh, players for the team? Well, it's, first of all, to, well, I guess when we were playing in the WFA and the IWFL, you have to be 18 and up to play. We would have, like, a, a few younger girls as well, 16, 17, that would just practice. So you were thinking, you know, upper high school, like, late high school, CJEP, and then university. I'm involved at, in flag football at the CJEP level, so a lot of the people that I've recruited personally are from the John Abbott flag football team, and uh, they're still playing and it's, it, it works out that way, but if it's hard for a lot of our our recruitment is through word of mouth. Uh, Andreanne has taken over a lot of the social media, so that's been great getting our uh, getting our uh, our team out there and all the activities that we do, any kind of fundraising, any kind of events um, or organizations that we're a part of. So that's helped a lot, and I think in the last couple of years, the, our interest and in the the asking for info on the website has increased uh, quite a bit so that does help but a lot of it is word of mouth and trying to just get out there and get our athletes out there they, they go to the gym or they play on other sports teams to get their circle to come and uh, and try and um and it's not for everybody right like especially contact sports aren't for everybody but usually uh you know we have a decent amount that come out every year and this year we have 20 I think 20 new girls and 20 vets. So it's, it's about half and half. So it's, yeah, 50% it's, yeah. new recruits. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But I'm not going to lie, recruiting is a struggle because it, it requires, you know, you need financial means to go out to, you know, everyone has full-time jobs and or they're already coaching. Like the a lot of the uh, guys, the defensive coordinator, the offensive coordinator, they coach, their, they coach at Concordia. So in the fall, like, forget it, right? They're in season and it's hard for them to get out there. And that's when the women's flag season is. That's when the women's rugby season is for CJEP as well and university. So it's hard to kind of get out there and find time to go and just sit and talk to people and yeah but it's it's a struggle it's that's been a struggle for years and years so i guess for me i'm my sport is the other type of football i'm a, I'm a big soccer fan and i know safi is a big hockey fan as well and you know being montrealers we've kind of seen both sports grow in their own respects uh, and i guess from my perspective when i'm looking at the cfl team when i look at the alouettes um i feel that the popularity kind of like has dipped a bit throughout the past few years um, does the fact that maybe the men's team's popularity kind of going down, does that make it difficult for the women's game to, to grow in popularity, being that maybe football is not necessarily a sport that a lot of people might not be focusing on? Mm-hmm. Like maybe they're going towards soccer, or towards hockey, or even in the NDG area where rugby is a really popular sport. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, if, since you mentioned rugby, rugby's done a great job at the at the at the younger levels, at the grassroots level, at uh, in the high school levels to bring up those young girls, you know, young women playing and continuing and they continue playing after CJP into university. And uh, and I don't know about the after, I'm not very familiar with the after university portion of uh, women's rugby, but I know there's you know, Team Quebec and, and Team Canada and, and things like that. And they've done a great job at that. I don't know, but in terms of um, the men's popularity going up and down, like uh, the men's team's popularity, like the Owls, I know they're they're might be struggling a little bit right now from from what I hear, and I don't know if that affects us directly. Um, we've gone through our own dips, ups and downs in terms of you know I've played on the team when we had you know 21 players, right, and then sometimes we have like 35, and so it just I think it's it's really random for us right now. So I'm not sure that really has a direct effect mm-hmm. on it. I do know that tackle football isn't a sport that it has a kind of a bad rap these days, right? In terms of the contact sports and the and the concussions. Um, and I'm not sure it's a sport that 
parents of young girls are willing, they're not willing to let them, hey, let's go play tackle football, right? They'd rather put them into something a little less, uh, uh, with a little less contact, I guess. Um, so that's, uh, we're working on, we need, we need to work on that a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And uh, you talk about the dips maybe that your own team goes through. And I guess a general question for both of you would be, I guess, like, what are some of the more difficult situations that the team has been placed in over, over the years? Well, I'm guessing uh, like having uh, years where there's a lot of injuries and so with a small roster to begin with and then uh, uh, it's a long season and you will get, you might get injured and so you go to a game and you try to play to be as competitive as possible but the the players have to play uh, both ways and uh, for a whole game against a team that has a roster of 40 mm-hmm. and so and it's it's like it's super challenging but at the same time it like it brings like the the team together like like nothing like nothing compares to to that mm-hmm. um the bond that you build it's like it's 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 amazing but it is challenging and it takes a toll on your body uh, i mean uh, challenging on your schedule also um you come back to work or to school the the next monday and you're kind of <laughs> a little uh brutal yeah. <laughs> not so sharp but uh, yeah. i i think that's one of the challenges and to get exposure and to 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 let people know that that we exist and we're there and that uh, if if young girls want to play tackle football it, it is possible i mean we've been uh, the blitz has existed for many years now so so we're working hard to keep this program alive uh for that reason yeah that's the, the physical challenges are, are definitely an issue um and yeah, the recruitment and the and the interest because when people do come out and watch they're like someone who's never heard of us before and they come out and watch they're wow this is you know this is this is good football and we do we have a history of playing some good football and we've had some great coaching and great organization by the administration and and it's just um it all kind of works together and people are impressed by that so that's but it's tough to kind of that initial grab yeah. you know like come come watch you know and you know you get the attitude oh what do you mean girls play football like it's the guys sport. <laughs> yeah. and it's still there it's less but it's still there it's you're still like there. really you know we're 2019 it's uh, uh but you know, I guess, again, maybe people are ready for that. They've been, uh, we're still young compared to hockey and uh, and rugby. And, but, you know, again, work in progress. It's, you know, we're not giving up. <laughs> it almost feels like any woman in any sport, anybody who watches is like, oh, wow, <laughs> they can do that too. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like yeah. that's just, that's the same narrative, yeah. you know? So uh, one of the things that I'm interested in knowing, especially when you guys talked about players just transitioning from touch to tackle Mm -hmm. you know like that's still like a pretty big change you're getting tossed around at this point Mm -hmm. what is that experience like like how do you adapt to that I mean yes they're both played with a football but they're completely different sports right Right. yes there are a lot of skills that transition that transfer over especially at the skills what we call the skills position like wide receiver DB Mm -hmm. because that's a lot of what touch football and flag football is and you do get sometimes the the player that is able to transition over to like a linebacker position or a running back position, you know, contact sports aren't for everybody. And, but if, if you're able to, you know, I've, we've seen some really great quarterbacks come and come for a bit and then, uh, this isn't for me. Right. And, and that's okay. Right. The, the contact sports that you could be a great flag football quarterback and then just, it doesn't, you just, 
it's different. It's a completely different. There's so much happening around you. It's, it's a hard transition. You could be a great tackle football quarterback and go to flag and not able to tra- trans- transfer those skills over. Mm-hmm. So so we, we do, uh, if, if someone comes from flag or touch football and they come to the Blitz, um, they've probably already accomplished quite a bit and they just see this as another challenge. Right. When they stick around, they develop their skills more to to be more specific to tackle football skills, they they do excel and they do succeed, whether they're at linebacker or D-line, O-line mm-hmm. or whatever. So it's 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 might be difficult at the beginning. Some people tr- transition over very quickly and some others takes maybe a season or two before they kind of understand how to play with a helmet, right? That's, right. that's just, it's a huge, you have this thing on your head and it's blocking <laughs> your vision. Yeah. Just something s- small like that, whether you're on defense or offense, um, it, uh, it that part I've seen, that, I think that's the biggest thing and then okay the helmet okay now you got shoulder pads like it's just so it's just even just the equipment itself it's hard to you have to figure out how your body moves with those extra constraints I guess between like you know uh tackle football and flag football what are you know aside from the physical contact maybe some of the equipment differences you know for our listeners and myself because I'm not that familiar with football what are some of the main differences in the game well, there's there's so many different positions that you can play in tackle football compared to, uh, let's say, flag. So, like, uh, diff- for different body types, right? Uh, there's blocking, there's uh, O-line, D-line, which is more kind of... Well, every position is physical, but, I mean, mm-hmm. you're really engaged every play. in every, every single play. And so it's super inclusive, uh, but uh, definitely, is uh, yeah, it's the part that uh, you're just always... Uh, you always have contact like you're mm-hmm. always engaged whatever position uh, you're playing and I mean if you're a wide receiver or just a receiver and it's a run play let's say in tackle football mm-hmm. then you need to block for your uh, running back right so so the the play happens so so it's it's like obviously when you run patterns at flag your pattern has a meaning I yeah guess, yeah like, yeah <laughs> it does everyone uh, has a job yeah absolutely. yeah it, but it was it's diff- it's just different. You can get more engaged physically in tackle, right. and so uh, there's always that little competition that's uh, that's very uh, that's very fun to play. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's. I mean, first of all, there's eleven or twelve people. Then you're playing against eleven or twelve people, whether you're playing CFL rule, uh, Canadian rules, or, or American rules. But it's it really is like everyone has an assignment, and if you don't do that assignment everyone on the team will suffer from that one little mistake. You can never take a playoff. And one of our uh, uh, old coaches, Pierre, would always say, you know, the average tackle football play lasts about six seconds. So we need you for those six seconds, one play at a time. And if you take those six seconds, if you take a break, you know, it could be, you know, something can, something, and it's dangerous QB too, right? might, uh, QB <laughs> might, QB <laughs> might get, uh, you know, squashed or running back or whatever, yeah, you know, yeah, someone yeah. that, so the defense might get blocked, you know, blindsided. Yeah. And right. So you can't take any of those six seconds off when, when you're, when you're on the, what, doesn't matter what position you're playing. Right. You mentioned recruiting from a bunch of different sports, you know, mm-hmm. especially as a coach, like, what is it like to have like these groups of people, obviously they're all athletic and com- mm-hmm. competitive, but they're still coming in with many different skill sets. What is it like to manage manage that? Well, hopefully you have coaches for those positions so right. they, they can manage their own their own small groups. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, uh, you know, when when at the beginning of camp, when they all come in, you're like, okay, you know, you look at body type first, <laughs> right. of course, because usually you're correct, mm-hmm. um, uh, depending where, what, what you think, uh, where an athlete should play. Um, but yeah, you, you hope to have a, coaching staff that is able to manage their own little, you know, 
group and then we come together and then so the, you know the o-line comes with the with the rest of the offense and the offense comes with the defense and then you can see how it goes so that really starts at like that that coaching level okay yeah and you mentioned before obviously parents are probably reluctant to put their children in football especially with the with the media attention that it's getting especially contact sports in general but football is obviously the one that's mm-hmm. often used as the example yeah. for yeah. you know concussions head injuries there's one narrative, you know, there's m- one main narrative that we see in the media that it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's dangerous, it's bad, like it shouldn't exist anymore, yeah. you know, like we need to change the game. What is your opinion on concussions in football? Because I don't think it's as black and white. I don't think anything is as black and white, right? Uh, yeah, I agree with you. And it's not, not, all, <laughs> not all black and white. I think uh, football does have a bad reputation or for that. With that new knowledge and the, more, the awareness we have with uh, concussions and the concussion protocols change, they, I guess they review it, I don't know, on a yearly or a couple of years, every couple of years. Um, you know, but concussions can happen. My friend just got a concussion at, a, at skiing, but not even while skiing. Right. Okay. So things happen. It's and I'm not. And yes, I understand contact sports. It's always you're kind of putting yourself out there to get hit. But um, the um, but because of the awareness, tackle tackling techniques have changed, you know, ball carrying techniques and things change. You know, we try and, you know, limit, I guess, you know, we don't you know, we don't want anyone tackling with their head. And you might see it on TV, but that's not how it's supposed <laughs> to be. Right. So there are ways you know new methods new techniques coming out that help with that also practicing instead of tackling against one another you have tackle rings or you have tackle dummies so that also helps with learning this learning the proper technique learning the skill without having to tackle somebody else so that limits that yeah i i think any any sport anything can happen and it's definitely not uh, not black and white that's for sure i think but i also think it needs to be uh, there needs to be more education at the coaching level as well right mm-hmm. because there's there's so many teams out there there are so many teams out there really and especially and you see I mean, the NFL is like a, like, and the CFL, these are like these giant machines that are just, they just, they, they're always there during the season. You see it on TV all the time and the big hits and the oohs and ahs and, and yeah, okay, they're, they're, they're impressive to look at, but, you know, we want to make sure that those athletes, whether, whatever level they are, if they're at mosquito level or a pro level, mm-hmm. that they're still learning the proper techniques and that does come down to coaching as well. That's it. And with those head on collision, collisions yeah. and whatnot that are like yeah. on repeat, especially yeah, when you're watching yeah, TSN, yeah. No. it's kind of ironic because it's the same networks that will probably mm-hmm. be saying, you know, talking about how yeah. it has a bad rap and it's dangerous, but like, look at this highlight I over know. and over yeah. again. So in terms of education, which is something I wanted to bring up, are there any resources that are available to coaches in terms of, you know, are there workshops? manuals like how does it kind of work uh i yeah i yeah. think it comes from uh, football canada football right? canada okay. it's a uh, safe uh, safe contact safe contact head up heads up uh, making headway making Something headway like that, yeah uh so there are resources but then the provinces are responsible to have those clinics and uh, coaches need to register and have a, a what's pnc uh, in english NCCP. Uh, nccp uh number and so they have to do some modules online and it's not everybody uh has been as like um jumped into the process yet uh but i think it's 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 a good way to make sure that uh, all coaches are up to date uh, with uh, recent tackling techniques and how to make the sport safer because it can be safer i mean football with proper technique is is like is is a controlled sport uh mm-hmm. compared to you can compare to skiing mm-hmm. i mean uh, where there's speed involved like equipment that can cut you and you know mm-hmm. trees and, the, and <laughs> i mean like uh, yeah. so 
so yeah, uh, there's uh, there's tools out there, but uh, uh, we need to to have more coaches have access to that for sure. And going back just a little bit, switching gears now, I know we mentioned that the team was founded in 2001, um, but um, as is often the case, I know it was the case with like Le Canadien, there was like throughout history in like the 1900s, there were like different versions of the team, uh, you know, in World War One, two, three. Was <laughs> that the case maybe for football? Like, do you guys have any knowledge about maybe like past football teams, you know, like more underground that people don't know about? Oh, um, like before the Blitz yeah. in Montreal? I don't know. I don't know of any. Yeah, I, I was always very curious about that because I feel like they always like kind of pop up in the. I know. Right? <laughs> I, I know um, when we went to the championship in in uh, Austin, Texas, one year there were some older ladies that were there, and it was a team they played in Ohio, like way back when, the, the and they were troopers, showing us pictures. Uh, was that the Toledo Troopers? Yeah, something or, like that. Yeah, yeah and they were. Uh, my parents were a huge fan. They would always come to to Texas to to watch our game, right? So they were like chatting up my parents, and <laughs> they were like, "Look, look at these pictures!" And so that was interesting. It must have been. I must have been in the fifties and sixties, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Since uh, you know, since the team was founded, how do you find as the, has the growth of football been either within Montreal or just like in Quebec? Because as we said, this is a very successful football team that many people just haven't heard of. So, do you feel like? I mean, I know you mentioned earlier on like more and more people are like learning about the team, but is it going at the pace that you want it? Is it has it grown exponentially at some parts? Like, what has it been like since its foundation? I mean, there's there's room to grow for sure. So if people are interested, uh, just follow us. But uh, (laughs) um, um, I think it it shows in the numbers of uh, players we were able to recruit this year. Um, It was it's a record year. Uh, We have. 38 players I think mm. on the roster and so that's that's like uh, yeah that's, that's a very good year it's, it's never yeah. seen before okay wow and so so that gives us kind of a a gauge uh, to where we're at and uh, people reaching out reaching out younger girls that we cannot accept on the we cannot have on the team right now because they're under 16 unfortunately but that uh, that that can't wait to to be part of the blitz or another team for that matter like uh, obviously if the sports uh, grows enough and the, there's enough players in the Quebec, uh, Quebec um, city um, or uh, Uh, near Ottawa or something Mm -hmm. it would be great I mean like the travel time would be shorter and everything but we need people to start those programs also Mm -hmm. and and I I, I truly believe that we can grow the the sport more and I guess like what are what are the the specific plans maybe to to grow the sport within the province like is that something that the team is is currently planning to do I don't so we have to think the blitz is kind of like I mean it's it's a team right so that would be like asking um, the Montreal Canadiens to work on starting a younger team, right? Will, will they be involved? Would they want to be, you know, come and do a clinic? Great. So if if we would have to get uh, support from Football Quebec and enough girls, younger girls to play, um, and even if uh, I believe, um, uh, I don't know if I'm, I mean, I think uh, Georgina Paul, who is the, the official, the first uh, woman to ref in a, a CFL preseason game a few weeks back, I think she wants to try and get involved in that and start like an eight-on-eight league. So just start, start you know, with less, you have less players, there's less smaller fields, so there's not these giant open field tackles, things like that. So that would be a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not, and 
would the Blitz be involved in helping out or like, you know, okay, getting some girls to help coach or, or do a little clinic to, to show the girls some of the basic skills and things like that. Um, that, that would be, that would probably be how we would participate in that capacity, but it's not really, if, if Andrean or, or Manon, the GM, if they get involved football Quebec, that, that would be how they would help, but it wouldn't really be like us doing that, I think. Yeah. Because I think just, just trying to keep this team alive is like, uh, <laughs> it's like a, a challenge in itself. And we, we'd like to do more and we'd like to, to bring the team and bring the team to Quebec city and have like mm-hmm. a, a scrimmage there and be like, come and watch, you can play football too. You know, you can start a program, but the reality of this is it's, it's cost for us. It's time and players are not necessarily available. So, mm-hmm. so we're trying to balance it the best we can, but, um, yeah, at least being there, at least In a supporting existing, role. Yeah, yeah. 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 Would be, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, look, it's, it's not easy to start a tackle football team from scratch. It really isn't easy. And I was lucky enough to kind of fall into, I played for a couple of years and the third year I, it was already kind of set up and I was just took it over and did, did, you know, took our own path after that. But, you know, it was, if it wasn't for Maggie, like I wouldn't have been like, Hey, I'm going to start a tackle football team, right? <laughs> that, you know, that wasn't on the radar mm-hmm. at all. So, um, so I think we're lucky enough to have her to have had the courage to start that and, uh, take on those initial kind of costs and initial kind of that, that grunt work that, that she did. If you had a message for, you know, the people listening, people who maybe you've never seen women play football or, you know, who just want to, you know, do something fun this summer, uh, what message do you have for people, you know, in terms of coming out to watch the, the Blitz? Well, uh, unfortunately, there there might not be another home game oh, this no. uh, this year. We had a short season, like uh, we explained a little bit before, being in a no league situation. Right. Um, maybe we'll try to have exhibition games in in the fall. Who knows? Uh, but uh, uh, just just come watch. Get you know, follow us on social media. Um, send us an email. Whatever, however you want to be involved. If you're a player, uh, a volunteer, and you need, we we always it's just like uh, getting the word out there that right. that uh, it is possible to play tackle football if you're a girl or a woman or a woman, <laughs> and uh, and it's it's a fun game. It's a team sport. Um, it's it's it's. Uh, Yeah, it's the sport of any any woman of any body type um, and any mindset also because you have to have different mindsets for different positions. Mm-hmm. So any, uh, it's a sport that any woman can try, and uh, if you like it, you stay. And you know, just like any other sport or anything else, if you try it and it's not for you, well, then it's not for you. But you know, if you want to take your your athletic ability to another level, it's something that uh, it's an interesting challenge for 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 you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if if you know younger players that are playing in boys team at the mm-hmm. moment, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, just let us know uh, uh, that uh, let us know that you you exist and that you're playing uh, right now, and uh, that uh, any suggestion to grow the game will be warmly accepted by us, and we'll look at, at ways that we can keep uh, doing this. And if people wanted to reach out to you, how can they do that? Uh, directly uh, through our. Uh, Our um, website, website, yeah. You Or can Facebook use the, the general uh, email address, which is info at montrealblitz.ca or uh, Messenger on Facebook and uh, Twitter and Instagram. Also, a little DM. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you both so much for coming into studio. Oh, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank for you. Us. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
and share this episode with a friend. It's the best way for the show to grow. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Last Stretch Pod and your hosts at Mel the Rock at Safs underscore on the go. And you could follow me on Twitter at Das Alex Perez. Our theme music is by James Blonde. You can find their music for sale at jamesblonde.ca. This show is produced and edited by Tom Zlatanai for the Upford Network. Find out about all the greatest shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Smell you later. On September 16, 1993, NBC aired the first ever episode of Frasier, a spin-off series about psychiatrist Dr. Frasier Crane, the much-loved Seattle shrink from Cheers. Ten days earlier, a baby was born. A baby who, we'd come to learn, was destined to have someone pay him $264 to watch through every episode of Frasier with different special guests, unpacking the deeper themes behind each episode. That baby is me, Tom Zalatni, and this is a terrible, terrible idea. Tune in to They're Calling Again, right here on the Upford Network. Oh, hi. Do you ever wonder if picking your own name for Secret Santa and then buying yourself a gift makes you a sociopath? Or if everything is everything, then how much of everything is there? Or what exactly a moguana is? Well, <laughs> that one's just a way of saying more iguana. Or maybe you wonder what the death of a friendship over the course of 50 episodes sounds like. Whatever your questions, you can find the answers and also more questions on Lasers on the Ride podcast. Now a member of the Upford Network. Available wherever you usually get your podcasts.